sometimes when we encounter these difficult teachings in Scripture, these hard truths, sometimes they kind of come at us from an, an intellectual angle, right? Because God is so much higher than we are, because his ways are higher than, than our ways. It can be um, a little bit difficult for us when we come to certain passages that, that we just can't wrap our minds around. Sometimes this maybe comes more from a, a moral angle because we are um, people with a sinful human nature. We want to do certain things. We want to be certain things. And then, well, then sometimes we come across those, those passages that um, tell us to do and to be different people than that. Sometimes, though, this, this comes more from a, a theological angle. And, and by that, I mean that, that because of things that we hear emphasized in church again and again and again, sometimes we, we forget that there can be other sides to these things, that it can be a little bit more nuanced than, than the one thing that we hear over and over again. And so we can almost build up like a, a bias or even a, a misunderstanding of the complete picture of whatever that subject might be. And so sometimes certain words or phrases can almost become like a little bit taboo for us. Like when you hear the phrase good works, that might, that might send a little bit of a red flag up in, in your mind, right? Because, well, we know that we are saved through faith in not what we do, not at all in what we do, but in what Christ has done on our behalf, right? And because there are so many churches out there who will teach that Good works are something that, that contribute to your salvation. We can almost go so far the other direction and act as though good works don't really matter and we don't really want to talk about them. Another word might be the word judge. We hear it again and again. Judge not. Do not judge, lest ye be judged. Well, actually, when you look at what Scripture says, it says to judge. Not to be judgmental, but, but first to judge yourself and then to properly, to judge properly other people that, that are in your faith. Well, we're going to be looking at one of those types of words today in Deuteronomy 30. Now, before we really dive into this, it's worth laying a little bit of groundwork. The Israelites have already left Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea, and then at the foot of Mount Sinai, they received the law of God. The Ten Commandments, all of those ceremonial and civil laws, which were to govern them as a nation. Well, now 40 more years have passed as they've been wandering in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy, then, um, is like their refresher course. Okay? Moses comes back before the people, and he brings that law to them a second time. Then, at the end, there are a few more encouragements and warnings that God wants for his people. And so that's what we find here in Deuteronomy 30. We're going to start with verse 15. So God has laid out all of these commands, and then he says, See... I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. There's a game that I, that I play with my, my little girl in the evening when it's vitamin time. I go and get out one of her vitamins, and it's like one of those sugary, like, I don't know how they're vitamins. It tastes like a fruit snack kind of things. And I'll hold that in one hand, and then I'll take out one of my vitamins, which is like compressed alfalfa and sawdust sawdust bits or something like that. It tastes really nasty. And I'll, I'll, I'll put one in each hand and then I'll make her, I'll make her choose. Is she going to get her good vitamin or is she going to get daddy's yucky vitamin? Now, don't worry. I don't make her take the yucky vitamin if she picks that. Um, she always gets her vitamin. Uh, but, but we have something kind of similar here, right? We've got held out in one hand 
life and prosperity. In the other hand, we have death and destruction. Well, are we left to like a 50-50 guessing game here or what? Not quite. Moving on. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So it's not like a blind choice here. It's like both of the hands are laid bare. They're both laid open. Go with God. Obey him. Give your heart to him. The life, prosperity, and blessing will be yours. Disobey God. Turn your hearts away from him. You will reap death and destruction. Curse. Well, now that he's laid out the two choices, we come to what we might call the imperative of this section. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we're going to be zeroing in on a word there in verse 19. And that's actually what brings us to our hard truth today. Choose God. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking that doesn't sound like much of a hard truth at all. And yet there are others of you that maybe that rankles a little bit. Because if, if you grew up in a, a, a Wisconsin Lutheran church like I did, if, if you memorized your, your catechisms in, in confirmation class and, and then have been going to Bible studies since then and, and you've been deeply immersed uh, in, in the goings-on of, of a church like this one, you might be thinking, well, I, I don't choose God. I, I don't make the decision for God. God is the one. Who, who chooses me, right? He, he's the one who, who calls me to faith through his Holy Spirit. He is the one who works that faith into my heart, right? And maybe you even think of a passage like 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, where very plainly you see, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Nobody is making that confession of faith without the Holy Spirit already living in their hearts by faith, Right? Maybe you even think of Luther's explanation to the third article. Many of you have probably memorized this at some point in your life. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. This last, well, like a couple of weeks ago now, I guess it was, um, I, I actually went on Bible Gateway and in a little search bar there, you don't, you can't only just put like a, a book and a chapter and a verse. You can actually type in words. You can cross-reference words. And so I typed in the word choose. And then after that, I typed in the word chosen. And then for probably a couple of hours, I sorted through all of these hundreds of Bible passages that popped up there. And some of them only talked of, you know, choosing with you know, kind of more trivial things, the way that we would normally choose things in our everyday life. 
David, King David chose uh, these men to be his, his mighty men or whatever. Um, but then there were a lot of passages. I found a, a whole, and I actually compiled a big list of passages that speak about God choosing or how God chose you. God chooses his people. And that's, that's a lot of passages. Passages that spell it out in very plain terms. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Like before creation, I didn't exist. There's no way that I could have chosen God. John 15, verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. But you know what? There's another set of passages. Passages which do speak about you choosing God and, and, and choosing the things of God over the things of this world. Passages like the one that we read in Deuteronomy 30. Passages like we have here in Joshua 24. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Two sets of passages. Now, if we maintain that the Bible is fully true, which we do, then we can't just pick one set of passages and ignore the other one. And we can't just choose this one and ignore that one. The Bible is fully true, then we need to ask a different question. How do both sets of passages work together for truth? It's worth looking at even a little bit of the deeper or broader context to what we read there in Deuteronomy 30. You see, the Israelites sourced their lineage back to a man named Abraham. And if you know Abraham's story, it's not as though Abraham went out seeking some great blessing from God one day. No, God, God came to Abraham uh, among all of the people that he could have chosen. God came to Abraham, and he chose him for this special honor. And then God also says that he chose the Israelites to be his chosen people, to be his holy nation. It wasn't as though there was anything special um, about them as compared to the Midianites, the Elamites, the Aramites. There, there was nothing that was inherently better about them as a nation and as a people. In fact, by this point in time, quite the opposite. Israel had proven that quite the opposite maybe was, was true, that they had a long history of rebelling against God and against the leaders that he had put in front of them. Back at the original giving of the law on the foothills of Mount Sinai, you know what the people did? They made a golden calf, and they bowed down to it, and they worshipped it. They worshipped a statue as God, giving their hearts to it over and above the true God. There was another point in their history when they actually engaged, a large part of their community engaged in ritual idolatry and sexual immorality with the Midianites. Yet, God still chose them. God still wanted good and blessing for these people, despite their history of ungodly choices. And what's, what's true for the Israelites is, is true for you and me. We also have a long history of making the wrong choice, of choosing the wrong hand, so to speak. Sometimes, like the Israelites, we give our, heart, our hearts to, to false gods, to, to idols. 
over and above the true God. We, we give our hearts to, to money or to careers or to relationships with the people around us or to experiences or to whatever it might be over him. Sometimes this shows itself just in the, the abject selfishness of our lives, attitudes and, and actions that are really just all about me, not about glorifying God, not about serving my neighbor, they're about me. So many times God says, do. We say, don't. God says, don't. We say, do. You realize what this means? We've chosen death and destruction. what? That Came over? Chose the wrong hand and now it's hopeless? You gotta eat the nasty vitamin? No. Just as that wasn't the case for Israel, right? Yes, there, there were some earthly consequences that they had to face, but, but they were not abandoned by God, and, and God did not leave to them the, the death and the destruction that they reaped. You see, those Old Testament believers, they looked forward to the Messiah who would come to save his people from their sins. And now we today, we look back upon that Messiah who came. Right? We, we, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus, that, that obedient son who always chose God. That obedient son who always, in everything, gave his heart fully to his father. In John 14, Jesus says, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now let's think about what that means. If Jesus is the obedient one who has chosen correctly, so to speak, what belongs to him rightly? Life, prosperity, blessing, right? What do we find here in Philippians 2, though? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See what happens here. Although life and prosperity and blessing rightly belong to Jesus, he reaches a cross and he removes from me the death and the destruction that I rightly deserve. And he has replaced it with the consequences of his righteousness. Second Corinthians puts it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus chooses your death and destruction in order to give you his life and prosperity. See, God wants peace for you. God wants blessing. He wants forgiveness. He wants belonging and, and worth and security for you. And so, he sends us a Savior who washes away the sins of the world. And then what does he do? He calls you out of the darkness of unbelief into the light of life. He creates that faith in your heart when we were dead in our sins and unable to do this on our own at all. He puts that faith, he makes, he forges that relationship with you. 
He calls you one of his own dear children and adopts you into his family. So our beautiful truth today is this, that, that God chose you first. And we always want to remember this because when, when sin and when our choices had, had left us powerless, utterly powerless to be with God or to choose him in any way whatsoever, God chose Yet that other set of passages still exists, doesn't it? Our hard truth is still there. Choose God. See, God, when he calls you to faith, does not create a set of mindless robots who can only choose the good and will never engage in the bad. He knows that there are still so many dangers which exist around you he knows that this world is full of false gods to which we are often inclined to give our hearts. And he knows that Satan is right there and he is trying to convince you to give your hearts to those idols so that you will abandon the true God. He'll do this as he tries to convince you maybe that the idol uh, of money and the things that money can buy, that, that this is where true and better peace is found. Trying to convince you that Forgiveness and redemption can be found in, in, in just being a good person rather than only through the blood of Jesus and through faith in him. He'll, he'll try to convince you that belonging is found in people and in groups that seem more accepting to you than in the arms of, of the God who gathers you to his side. He'll try to convince you that worth is found in your relationships with other people or in the opinions of those other people. He'll try to convince you that true security is found in the false god maybe of career rather than in that, that mighty fortress that is the Lord. He knows that, that Satan is right there and he is trying to lure you and your heart away from God so that you fall out of love with him and in love with anything else because then you will also stop listening to his law and you will no longer seek his forgiveness. God doesn't want the death and destruction, does he? In fact, God, God did everything. God suffered for you to make sure that that wouldn't be your allotment, right? And, and so do, do we just kind of keep on going around in circles here or what? I think there's, there's a good word that we need to keep in mind as we, as we talk, talk about this. And it maybe is one that all of this kind of hinges upon. And it's the word repentance, okay? So often we have chosen death and destruction. So often we have turned our hearts away from God and away from his commands. But God does not want you to reap what you have chosen, does he? Repentance then means this. Repentance means acknowledging the choice for what it was. Not excusing it. Not trying to find a way to justify it or, or stubbornly sticking with it repentance means recognizing it as evil and repudiating it but then repentance goes even further because repentance also then in faith receives that forgiveness of god as he picks you up in his arms and puts you back on that path of life and prosperity. 
it all reminds me uh, a little bit of uh, a woman from my previous congregation for our purposes today. We'll call her Rachel. Um, for a long time, though, Rachel, uh, Rachel had been making choices in life that were putting her headlong on the path of death and destruction. She was a severe alcoholic. Every single night was spent at the bottom of another bottle. She had nothing to do with Christ in her life. Well, uh, one night, though, God so happened to send Rachel to our Christmas Eve service. She was really just tagging along with some of her family members who were prospects of ours at the time. And yet through this, I was able to start building up a little bit of a rapport with Rachel, which was good, because not long after that, she was arrested for a DUI. Now spending a couple of months in county lockup, I had a chance to visit with her. And through those visits, God worked. He brought faith into her heart. brought forgiveness and restoration into her life. God chose her to be his own daughter. Redeemed and restored, Rachel then also chose God and chose the things of God. She left the path of, of empty bottles behind her and I'm not saying that she walked this path perfectly in every way. Far from it. And yet, right there with her always was repentance. She rejected the evil. And she gloried in the grace and the forgiveness of God. Are you and I always going to make the right choice in life? Even after receiving all of these blessings and knowing what those blessings are? Or not, right? Just as was the case with Israel, sadly, even when we know plenty better, we will often choose death and destruction. And yet, God's grace is right there, and that beautiful truth remains, God continues to choose you. He chose you for faith. He chooses you for repentance. He chooses you for forgiveness. He chooses you also for new life and new living here on this earth. And he also chooses you for eternal life at his side in heaven. Amen. Amen.